0: Welcome to CraftLit, the podcast for crafters who like books. My name is Heather Wardover, and I'm podcasting here from the glorious Hudson River Valley in the little village of Croton on Hudson, New York. Episode 2 Auntie Alpaca. First, I wanted to say thank you for all of my listeners and my returning listeners. This has been just a huge excitement for me. And I especially wanted to give a shout out to Susan, who was my first commenter. Thank you so much. Susan's a painter as well as a knitter. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And then Beverly, who is in New Mexico, uh, late of the Peekskill area, who knows the black cow where I hold my knitting charity group, and who um, who misses us. Um, Beverly I actually spent much of my high school years in Tucson Arizona so I love the smell of creosote in the rain and I miss the dry heat I hope I hope you're enjoying it and uh, my third commenter was Jocely I hope that's how you pronounce your name thank you so much that was really fun that's quite exciting uh, today I wanted to do a web review for a knitting website And then a fiber review for a place where I have bought fiber from before for spinning. And then we'll get to our book. The website I wanted to talk to you about today is called girlfromauntie.com. This is an obvious play on the old uh, TV show, The Man from Uncle. This is The Girl from Auntie. Um, But more than that, when I went and actually read the about me part on her website, she is not just The Girl from Auntie because it's a cute play on an old TV show. She is The Girl from Auntie because it was an episode on The Avengers, which was one of my all-time favorite TV shows when I was a kid. I don't think I understood a stitch of it, but boy, I really wanted to be Emma Peel, and I thought John Steed was just hot, which is kind of funny now because looking back, Patrick Mcnee is really anything but hot but it was certainly a fun show to watch and still is in all of its kitschy glory. The reason I wanted to bring up the girl from Auntie is because her patterns are spectacular. I know Brenda Dane talked about the rogue hoodie, which I am actually in the middle of knitting and the pattern is glorious. It's not only beautiful to knit, but it is easy to follow her instructions. And this is something that I learned from a free pattern that she has on her website. There's a, a pattern she has for a and kind of an oversized, cropped. I know that sounds like a contradiction in terms. Um, it's a bulky knit, cropped, long sleeve sweater that has a um, kind of a triangular um, neck closure. It was the first sweater I made for myself. It was ridiculously easy to make. It was... Um, probably the best thing I could have done with my time when I was first learning to knit. I was one of those knitters who just kind of jumped in feet first and paid no heed to anyone who told me that I couldn't. And as a consequence, I found that I could. But what it meant was I needed access to patterns that were clearly written, easy to follow, um, and yet didn't talk down to me. There's still a lot of tricky stuff that you get to do on the pattern for the um, the free pattern for the sweater but boy it looks sharp and I because I was a new knitter and I didn't have a lot of money I was still just teaching high school at the time um, I used Lion Brands uh, I think it's thick and quick in a charcoal gray kind of a heathered gray and then I combined two strands of mohair one kind of a turquoise blue and one kind of an aqua green and those two together twine around the gray in a really nice way and give the, the sweater some color definition that it might not have had otherwise. So there were some, some fun things that you're able to do with the pattern because again, it is so simple and straightforward. The, um, the other thing I wanted to tell you about today for anyone who is a spinner is I have found uh, over and over again the quality of the alpaca fiber from a particular farm to be extraordinary. Anne Mays at Alpacas de Vaz, and I'm sure I am mispronouncing that because I grew up in the Southwest and spoke Spanish, not French. Anne Mays is the owner of this particular alpaca farm, and I've been corresponding with her and buying from her since December of last year, two thousand five. She is extremely helpful. She is a joy to communicate with by email. She is uh, very upfront and honest about what her alpacas are like and what they are good and not good for. She has both Surrey alpaca and Wakaya alpaca. And uh, I don't know if you know the difference, I only learned it because of her. Surrey alpaca was um, reserved for Incan royalty, the Wakaya pa- alpaca was uh, the alpaca for everyone else. Now, I started spinning Wakaya, and I have to say, it was spectacular lofty soft 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 and for someone like me who does in fact have a lot of allergies um i had no reaction to it whatsoever it was um only when i switched to surrey that I realized what a difference there could be in alpaca fiber. The surrey felt almost like angora. It is so unbelievably soft. And I don't know what Anne Mays is feeding her alpaca, but um, I was tempted and am now in the process of buying an entire fleece from one of her alpacas. And she was kind enough to send me a picture of Gabriel, young Gabriel the Gelding, who I will soon own the fleece of. I have information, links to uh, the website, as well as a link to Anne on my uh, website, which I'll give you at the end of the podcast. And I, I just can't recommend both The Girl from Auntie and Alpaca de Vaz, uh, enough, both spectacular places to go and, and purchase from. Now for the meat of our session together, Pride and Prejudice. I hope you enjoyed the first few ch- four chapters of the book. Um, you certainly get to know Mr. and Mrs. Bennett quite well. I've always gotten such a kick out of Mr. Bennett uh, for the way that he, well, honestly, for the way that he puts up with Mrs. Bennett, but also for the way that he he does clearly and deeply love his daughters. And is. Um, I don't ever get the sense that he's motivated by wanting to get them out of the house. Certainly a man with as many daughters as he has in that day and age when you had to provide a dowry, he was looking at a big investment in moving his daughters along to marriages. But um, you certainly never get that sense from him that it's economic. There is a lot of love there. And Mrs. Bennett, for all her hysteria and craziness, she too does uh, love her daughters in her own crazy way. But I think um, it's important to point out that if anything sums up the book it is the first line which is it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife and of course that sets up both the um, the gender structure of the book but it also implies the class structure that we're going to get into more deeply in the book um, the Bennetts are wealthy but not rich. They're certainly doing well for themselves. And then Mr. Bingley moves in. Now he has made his money in trade, which means he did not, uh, his father did not inherit the money, which knocks him down a step from Mr. Darcy. But for reasons that we haven't been exposed to yet, Mr. Darcy doesn't seem to care. He thinks Bingley is a, a fine man and uh, is quite happy to to hang around with him. Darcy, however, slights our heroine Elizabeth when he says she is tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt me. And um, of course, to those of us who read Pride and Prejudice in high school, this is an insult which shall not be born. Poor Elizabeth gets uh, dissed by Darcy in the first four chapters. However, in chapters five and six, which is what we'll listen to today, pay close attention to the details that Austin is giving you now on class structure. The women that she's writing about truly could not move too far in any direction. And you see that particularly in the character of Jane, who has to, or feels she has to, hide her affection for Mr. Bingley, which may eventually damage her chances at hooking him. Um, But at the same time, if she gets all boy crazy and shows how much she likes him, she can run the risk of being labeled um, negatively and having her chances at a good match being ruined for good. Do listen closely to what happens with Mr. Darcy in these chapters. It's really the novel's first big turning point, and Mr. Darcy, as always, is a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy chapters 5 and 6 of Pride and Prejudice.
1: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, Please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Recording by Annie Coleman in St. Louis, Missouri, in November 2005. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen Chapter 5 Within a short walk of Longbourn lived a family with whom the Bennets were particularly intimate. Sir William Lucas had been formerly in trade in Meryton, where he had made a tolerable fortune, and risen to the honor of knighthood by an address to the king during his mayorality. The distinction had perhaps been felt too strongly. It had given him a disgust to his business and to his residence in a small market town, and in quitting them both he had removed with his family to a house about a mile from maryton denominated from that period lucas lodge where he could think with pleasure of his own importance and unshackled by business occupy himself solely in being civil to all the world for though elated by his rank it did not render him supercilious on the contrary he was all attention to everybody by nature inoffensive friendly and obliging His presentation at St. James's had made him courteous. Lady Lucas was a very good kind of woman, not too clever to be a valuable neighbor to Mrs. Bennet. They had several children. The eldest of them, a sensible, intelligent young woman, about twenty-seven, was Elizabeth's intimate friend. That the Miss Lucases and the Miss Bennets should meet to talk over a ball was absolutely necessary. "'and the morning after the assembly brought the former to Longbourn to hear and to communicate. "'You began the evening well, Charlotte,' said Mrs. Bennet, with civil self-command to Miss Lucas. "'You were Mr. Bingley's first choice. "'Yes, but he seemed to like his second better. "'Oh, you mean Jane, I suppose, because he danced with her twice. "'To be sure, that did seem as if he admired her. Indeed, I rather believe he did.' "'I heard something about it, but I hardly know what. "'Something about Mr. Robinson. "'Perhaps you mean what I overheard between him and Mr. Robinson. "'Did not I mention it to you? "'Mr. Robinson's asking him how he liked our Merriton assemblies, "'and whether he did not think there were a great many pretty women in the room, "'and which he thought the prettiest, "'and his answering immediately to the last question. "'Oh, the eldest Miss Bennet, beyond a doubt, "'there cannot be two opinions on that point.' "'Upon my word, well, that is very decided indeed. "'That does seem as if—but, however, it may all come to nothing, you know.' "'My overhearings were more to the purpose than yours, Eliza,' said Charlotte. "'Mr. Darcy is not so well worth listening to as his friend, is he? "'Poor Eliza! "'To be only just tolerable. "'I beg you would not put it into Lizzy's head to be vexed by his ill-treatment.' for he is such a disagreeable man, that it would be quite a misfortune to be liked by him. Mrs. Long told me last night that he sat close to her for half an hour without once opening his lips. Are you quite sure, ma'am? Is not there a little mistake? said Jane. I certainly saw Mr. Darcy speaking to her. Ay, because she asked him at last how he liked Netherfield, and he could not help answering her. But she said he seemed quite angry at being spoke to. Miss Bingley told me, said Jane, that he never speaks much unless among his intimate acquaintances. With them he is remarkably agreeable. I do not believe a word of it, my dear. If he had been so very agreeable, he would have talked to Mrs. Long. But I can guess how it is. Everybody says that he is eat up with pride, and I dare say he had heard somehow that Mrs. Long does not keep a carriage, and had come to the ball in a hack chaise. "'I do not mind his not talking to Mrs. Long,' said Miss Lucas, "'but I wish she had danced with Eliza.' "'Another time, Lizzie said her mother. "'I would not dance with him if I were you.' "'I believe, ma'am, I may safely promise you never to dance with him.' "'His pride,' said Miss Lucas, "'does not offend me so much as pride often does, "'because there is an excuse for it. "'One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man, "'with family, fortune, everything in his favor should think highly of himself if i may so express it he has a right to be proud that is very true replied elizabeth and i could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine pride observed mary who piqued herself upon the solidity of her reflections is a very common failing i believe by all that i have ever read i am convinced that it is very common indeed that human nature is particularly prone to it, and that there are very few of us who do not cherish a feeling of self-complacency on the score of some quality or other, real or imaginary. Vanity and pride are different things, though the words are often used synonymously. A person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves. Vanity to what we would have others think of us. If I were as rich as Mr. Darcy, cried a young Lucas, who came with his sisters, I should not care how proud I was. I would keep a pack of foxhounds and drink a bottle of wine a day. Then you would drink a great deal more than you ought, said Mrs. Bennet, and if I were to see you at it, I should take away your bottle directly. The boy protested that she should not. She continued to declare that she would, and the argument ended only with the visit. End of chapter five chapter six the ladies of longbourn soon waited on those of netherfield the visit was soon returned in due form miss bennet's pleasing manners grew on the good will of mrs hurst and miss bingley and though the mother was found to be intolerable and the younger sisters not worth speaking to a wish to be better acquainted with them was expressed towards the two eldest by Jane this attention was received with the greatest pleasure, but Elizabeth still saw superciliousness in their treatment of everybody, hardly excepting even her sister, and could not like them, though their kindness to Jane, such as it was, had a value as arising in all probability from the influence of their brother's admiration. It was generally evident whenever they met that he did admire her, and to her it was equally evident that Jane was yielding to the preference which she had begun to entertain for him from the first, and was in a way to be very much in love. But she considered with pleasure that it was not likely to be discovered by the world in general, since Jane united, with great strength of feeling, a composure of temper, and a uniform cheerfulness of manner, which would guard her from the suspicions of the impertinent. She mentioned this to her friend Miss Lucas. "'It may perhaps be pleasant,' replied Charlotte, to be able to impose on the public in such a case, but it is sometimes a disadvantage to be so very guarded. If a woman conceals her affection with the same skill from the object of it, she may lose the opportunity of fixing him, and it will then be but poor consolation to believe the world equally in the dark. There is so much of gratitude or vanity in almost every attachment that it is not safe to leave any to itself. We can all begin freely— A slight preference is natural enough, but there are very few of us who have heart enough to be really in love without encouragement. In nine cases out of ten, a woman had better show more affection than she feels. Bingley likes your sister, undoubtedly, but he may never do more than like her if she does not help him on. But she does help him on, as much as her nature will allow. If I can perceive her regard for him, he must be a simpleton indeed not to discover it too. "'Remember, Eliza, that he does not know Jane's disposition, as you do. "'But if a woman is partial to a man and does not endeavor to conceal it, "'he must find it out. "'Perhaps he must, if he sees enough of her. "'But, though Bingley and Jane meet tolerably often, "'it is never for many hours together, "'and as they always see each other in large mixed parties, "'it is impossible that every moment should be employed in conversing together.' "'Jane should therefore make the most of every half-hour in which she can command his attention. "'When she is secure of him, there will be more leisure for falling in love as much as she chooses.' "'Your plan is a good one,' replied Elizabeth, "'where nothing is in question but the desire of being well married. "'And if I were determined to get a rich husband, or any husband I dare say, I should adopt it. "'But these are not Jane's feelings. She is not acting by design.' "'as yet she cannot even be certain of the degree of her own regard, nor of its reasonableness. "'She has known him only a fortnight. "'She danced four dances with him at Meryton. "'She saw him one morning at his own house, and has since dined with him in company four times. "'This is not quite enough to make her understand his character. "'Not as you represent it. "'Had she merely dined with him, she might only have discovered whether he had a good appetite.' but you must remember that four evenings have also been spent together and four evenings may do a great deal yes these four evenings have enabled them to ascertain that they both like Vanton better than commerce but with respect to any other leading characteristic i do not imagine that much has been unfolded well said charlotte i wish jane success with all my heart and if she were married to him to-morrow I should think she had as good a chance of happiness as if she were to be studying his character for a 12 month. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. If the dispositions of the parties are ever so well known to each other, or ever so similar beforehand, it does not advance their felicity in the least. They always continue to grow sufficiently, unlike, afterwards, to have their share of vexation, and it is better to know as little as possible of the defects of the person with whom you are to pass your life. "'You make me laugh, Charlotte, but it is not sound. "'You know it is not sound, "'and that you would never act in this way yourself.' "'Occupied in observing Mr. Bingley's attentions to her sister, "'Elizabeth was far from suspecting "'that she was herself becoming an object of some interest "'in the eyes of his friend. "'Mr. Darcy had at first scarcely allowed her to be pretty. "'He had looked at her without admiration at the ball, "'and when they next met he looked at her only to criticise, BUT NO SOONER HAD HE MADE IT CLEAR TO HIMSELF AND HIS FRIENDS THAT SHE HARDLY HAD A GOOD FEATURE IN HER FACE, THAN HE BEGAN TO FIND IT WAS RENDERED UNCOMMONLY INTELLIGENT BY THE BEAUTIFUL EXPRESSION OF HER DARK EYES. TO THIS DISCOVERY SUCCEEDED SOME OTHERS, EQUALLY MORTIFYING. THOUGH HE HAD DETECTED WITH A CRITICAL EYE MORE THAN ONE FAILURE OF PERFECT symmetry IN HER FORM, HE WAS FORCED TO ACKNOWLEDGE HER FIGURE TO BE LIGHT AND PLEASING. AND IN SPITE OF HIS ASSERTING THAT HER MANNERS WERE NOT THOSE OF THE FASHIONABLE WORLD, HE WAS CAUGHT BY THEIR EASY PLAYFULNESS. OF THIS SHE WAS PERFECTLY UNAWARE. TO HER HE WAS ONLY THE MAN WHO MADE HIMSELF AGREEABLE NOWHERE, AND WHO HAD NOT THOUGHT HER HANDSOME ENOUGH TO DANCE WITH. HE BEGAN TO WISH TO KNOW MORE OF HER, AND AS A STEP TOWARDS CONVERSING WITH HER HIMSELF, ATTENDED TO HER CONVERSATION WITH OTHERS. HIS DOING SO DREW HER NOTICE. "'It was at Sir William Lucas's, where a large party were assembled. "'What does Mr. Darcy mean?' she said to Charlotte, "'by listening to my conversation with Colonel Forster. "'That is a question which Mr. Darcy only can answer. "'But if he does it any more, I shall certainly let him know "'that I see what he is about. "'He has a very satirical eye, "'and if I do not begin by being impertinent myself, "'I shall soon grow afraid of him. "'On his approaching them soon afterwards,' Though, without seeming to have any intention of speaking, Miss Lucas defied her friend to mention such a subject to him, which immediately, provoking Elizabeth to do it, she turned to him and said, "'Did you not think, Mr. Darcy, that I expressed myself uncommonly well just now, when I was teasing Colonel Forster to give us a ball at Meryton? With great energy, but it is always a subject which makes a lady energetic. You are severe on us.' "'It will be her turn soon to be teased,' said Miss Lucas. "'I am going to open the instrument, Eliza, and you know what follows. "'You are a very strange creature by way of a friend, "'always wanting me to play and sing before anybody and everybody. "'If my vanity had taken a musical turn, you would have been invaluable. "'But as it is, I would really rather not sit down before those "'who must be in the habit of hearing the very best performers.' on miss lucas's persevering however she added very well if it must be so it must and gravely glancing at mr darcy there is a fine old saying which everybody here is of course familiar with keep your breath to cool your porridge and i shall keep mine to swell my song her performance was pleasing though by no means capital after a song or two and before she could reply to the entreaties of several that she would sing again she was eagerly succeeded at the instrument by her sister mary who having in consequence of being the only plain one in the family worked hard for knowledge and accomplishments was always impatient for display mary had neither genius nor taste and though vanity had given her application it had given her likewise a pedantic air and conceited manner which would have injured a higher degree of excellence than she had reached Elizabeth easy and unaffected, had been listened to with much more pleasure, though not playing half so well. And Mary, at the end of a long concerto, was glad to purchase praise and gratitude by Scotch and Irish airs at the request of her younger sisters, who, with some of the Lucases and two or three officers, joined eagerly in dancing at one end of the room. Mr. Darcy stood near them in silent indignation, at such a mode of passing the evening, to the exclusion of all conversation, and was too much engrossed by his thoughts to perceive that Sir William Lucas was his neighbor, till Sir William thus began. What a charming amusement for young people this is, Mr. Darcy. There is nothing like dancing, after all. I consider it as one of the first refinements of polished society. Certainly, sir." And it has the advantage also of being in vogue amongst the less polished societies of the world. Every savage can dance. Sir William only smiled. Your friend performs delightfully, he continued after a pause, on seeing Bingley join the group, and I doubt not that you are an adept in the science yourself, Mr Darcy. You saw me dance at Meryton, I believe, sir. Yes, indeed, and received no inconsiderable pleasure from the sight. "'Do you often dance at St. James?' "'Never, sir.' "'Do you not think it would be a proper compliment to the place?' "'It is a compliment which I never pay to any place if I can avoid it.' "'You have a house in town?' I conclude. "'Mr. Darcy bowed. "'I had once had some thought of fixing in town myself, "'for I am fond of superior society, "'but I did not feel quite certain "'that the heir of London would agree with Lady Lucas.' He paused in hopes of an answer, but his companion was not disposed to make any. And Elizabeth, at that instant moving towards them, he was struck with the action of doing a very gallant thing, and called out to her, "'My dear Miss Eliza, why are you not dancing? Mr. Darcy, you must allow me to present this young lady to you as a very desirable partner. You cannot refuse to dance, I am sure, when so much beauty is before you.' And, taking her hand, he would have given it to Mr. Darcy who, though extremely surprised, was not unwilling to receive it, when she instantly drew back and said with some discomposure to Sir William, "'Indeed, sir, I have not the least intention of dancing. I entreat you not to suppose that I move this way in order to beg for a partner.' Mr. Darcy, with grave propriety, requested to be allowed the honour of her hand, but in vain. Elizabeth was determined, nor did Sir William at all shake her purpose by his attempt at persuasion. "'You excel so much in the dance, Miss Eliza, that it is cruel to deny me the happiness of seeing you, and though this gentleman dislikes the amusement in general, he can have no objection, I am sure, to oblige us for one half hour.' "'Mr. Darcy is all politeness,' said Elizabeth, smiling. "'He is, indeed, but considering the inducement, my dear Eliza, we cannot wonder at his complacence, for who would object to such a partner?' elizabeth looked archly and turned away her resistance had not injured her with the gentleman and he was thinking of her with some complacency when thus accosted by miss bingley i can guess the subject of your reverie i should imagine not you are considering how insupportable it would be to pass many evenings in this manner in such society and indeed i am quite of your opinion i was never more annoyed the insipidity and yet the noise the nothingness and yet the self-importance of all those people what would i give to hear your strictures on them your conjecture is totally wrong i assure you my mind was more agreeably engaged i have been meditating on the very great pleasure which a pair of fine eyes in the face of a pretty woman can bestow miss bingley immediately fixed her eyes on his face and desired he would tell her what lady had the credit of inspiring such reflections mr darcy replied with great intrepidity miss elizabeth bennett miss elizabeth Bennet, repeated miss bingley i am all astonishment how long has she been such a favorite and pray when am i to wish you joy that is exactly the question which i expected you to ask a lady's imagination is very rapid it jumps from admiration to love from love to matrimony, in a moment. I knew you would be wishing me joy. Nay, if you are serious about it, I shall consider the matter is absolutely settled. You will be having a charming mother-in-law indeed, and of course she will always be at Pemberley with you. He listened to her with perfect indifference while she chose to entertain herself in this manner, and as his composure convinced her that all was safe, her wit flowed long. End of chapter six. I hope you
0: enjoyed chapters five and six, and I hope you come back to chapters seven and eight next week. Um, I'd like to thank Annie Coleman, who is the reader volunteer for LibriVox who did Pride and Prejudice, and I would also like to thank Joshua Christian, who is the musician who did the intro music called Chasing Hero. That's H I R O. I found him on garageband.com. He is a musician in the Syracuse area, and I really, really wanted to support some classical music. I know a lot of the other uh, knitting and spinning podcasts are focusing on alternative music, and um, I know there's a lot of good classical musicians out there who just aren't getting the play. So that's where Joshua Christian came from. You can find a blog for this podcast and links to other episodes at craftlit.blogspot.com. Craftlit is all one word, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T. You can also get Craftlit at iTunes. And remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
1: craftlit, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T,
0: all one word. Thanks so much. Have a great week.